Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 48, Strickland versus Magomedov, also known as UFC Vegas 76. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, in place of my usual co-host, Keith Schillen, who is on vacation this week, is the great Lev Pisarski, SureDog uh, contributor. How are you doing today, Lev? I'm all right. Uh, been a fun set Sunday, so... Uh, looking forward to talking through this entire card with you. And I came prepared with my Bellator shirt, too. Outstanding. I almost put on my Combate Americas hat. Uh, you know, we could uh, get all sorts of unwelcome promotion of, of uh, rival organizations going, but I didn't make that choice in the end. I'll keep that in mind for next time because I got all sorts of competitor wear over there. Uh, <clears throat> normally, when I am hosting one of these, whether my co-host is Keith, my you know my usual uh, partner in crime, or another Sherdog contributor, somebody from outside of the company, whatever a deficit I may be at in terms of analytical acumen of MMA, I can usually rely on being the better one at pronouncing Russian names. Tonight, that is not I, – I can't even lay claim to that, so I'll do what I can to uh, salvage my pride here. But looking at this card, Strickland, Magomedov, and then a pretty lean and mean 12-fight uh, lineup, you know, definitely under the average for a UFC fight night card these days. Uh, if I were to ask you to give a letter grade to this card, just based on your level of anticipation for it, whether you care about the divisional relevance, the prospects, particular fights you're excited about, what, what letter grade would you give this one? Well, we were uh, spoiled last week with a UFC on ABC card, which is probably one of the best UFC cards of the past few months, pay-per-views included. In fact, maybe on paper it was better than some of the pay-per-views they had. Uh, I would probably give this one a D plus or a C minus. Uh, there's a couple of interesting prospects later up on the card and... Um, Really hard to know what we're getting with the main event. Strickland, he they like to put him on a lot of cards, and he likes to accept the paychecks. Uh, really hard to say what his opponent offers. Um, Comain, it's okay. Uh, maybe even better than average by UFC 2023 standards. So... Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I I'm a little alarmed that the co-main features someone in Demir Ismagulov that I thought retired after his last fight, but unretired in short order. You always have to question the the motivation and engagement level of somebody who I'll call it what it is, pulled a stunt like that uh, in in the wake of his of his last fight. So certainly a question mark there. If I were to and by the way, I would give a similar grade, D plus, C minus. There's not a whole lot of divisional relevance here. I, I mean, if I were to ask, okay, who on this card is closest to a title shot in their respective division off a win? The the answer is almost the like cheating default answer of whichever women's featherweight wins, you know, might be fighting for a vacant title later this year if the UFC doesn't scrap the division. But yeah, in mm -hmm. terms of divisional relevance, not a whole lot going on here. I do think one interesting thing about the, the lineup for this card is how many undefeated prospects there are on it who are flying under the radar by the standards of undefeated prospects. 
typically when there's someone making their way up the UFC ranks who's you know 10 and 0, 12 and 0, 14 and 0, they they pick up a hype train pretty quickly. Uh, obviously the the uh welterweight trio of Rachmanov, Shamayev and Brady until he he lost was a a good example of that. But here we've got you know Ivana uh, Sirich making her debut at six and zero. She's buried on the prelims. Uh, Michael Morales is is well up the card, but still, I mean, considering that not only is he undefeated, but he's kind of a knockout artist, you'd expect he would have gotten more of a push by now. It's just uh, interesting to me that there are so many relatively hype-free undefeated fighters on this card, or at least fighters who are on long winning streaks. Any. General uh, other thoughts about this card before we dive into the prelims. Well, uh, it's nice that it's uh, 12 fights instead of more. I absolutely agree. Uh, when doing the recaps of these events, Keith and I are very disposed towards giving a good letter grade to a, a card that did not weigh us down with three unnecessary and probably boring fights. So I'm all for it. Uh, whatever they would have added to this card probably wouldn't have been very cool. At least as the card is constituted as of the beginning of fight week, the mm -hmm. first fight up at UFC Vegas 76 is a heavyweight matchup between Alexander Romanov and Blagoy Ivanov. Romanov, the 32-year-old Moldovan, is 16-2 and overall. He's 5-2 and in the UFC. That's the good news. The bad news is that those two losses are his last two fights. Uh, after running his record to 16-0, and 0, marking himself a fringe contender in the UFC heavyweight division, he has run into trouble in back-to-back -back fights with Marcin Tybura, to whom he dropped a majority decision last August, and Alexander Volkov, who punched him out on the ground in less than half a round at uh, UFC fight night, Jan versus Dvalishvili, back in March. So Romanov definitely looking to get back any kind of positive momentum, any vestige of the uh the shine he had a year ago and standing in his way will be Ivanov the 36 year old Bulgarian 19 and 5 with one no contest overall he is 3 and 4 in the UFC the odds on this one are fairly close but Romanov is a mild to moderate favorite he's out there around minus 140 or so on most of your books Ivanov available around plus 110 on the comeback uh Lev I gotta be honest I'm Trying to think of a fighter at the UFC, you know, at, at an international level who's a made it as far as, you know, fringe contention who fell off a cliff as quickly as Alexander Romanov in, in recent memory. Uh, I never saw him as having champion upside. Just his approach to fighting was he was going to run into people it wasn't going to work on. Just this fairly squat barrel chested heavyweight who had an inefficient way of wrestling like his wrestling was all you know big body slams suplexes he seemed to take fighters getting back up as a personal affront like you know his mat returns were designed to hurt and demoralize the the opponent but you could tell that once he got to a guy that he couldn't just run through in a round and a half, gas tank was probably going to be a problem. Uh, my my problem is he seemed to be trending in the right direction. Uh, in his first six UFC fights, here are his weigh-in weights. 261, mm -hmm. 
260, 264, 260, 237, 239. He had clearly begun a bit of a transformation physically. I mean, you, you can't add height. He's always going to be about a 6'1 guy, but you know, he'd gotten rid of some of the less quality weight. And I, I, it was hard to tell much from his last win where he just ran over Chase Sherman on the ground. But I thought if he combines that with, you know, like the physical transformation with just a little more of a measured approach to his ground game, maybe his upside would be higher than I thought. But, you know, he ran into a wall against Tabura, a guy that was just bigger, a good wrestler himself. And then the Volkov fight was incredibly discouraging just because he showed up back at 265 pounds, the heavy seat ever weighed in. He did not look good. And I am not normally one who puts a lot of credence in how somebody looked at the weigh-ins. But in this case, where he had just put on like 30 pounds of fat right back on and then just wilted at the first sign of adversity mm-hmm. wasn't a good look. And in fairness to him, his first uh, takedown attempt was a solid takedown attempt. It didn't work because Volkov grabbed the hell out of the cage. Mm-hmm. But fighters grabbed the cage. And if you're Alexander Romanov, all of your opponents are going to grab the cage if, if they can. Just the fact that he didn't seem to have a plan B after that and Volkov just, you know, punched him out Hendo on Fedor style with like punches under the armpit uh, like 30 seconds later just wasn't a good look. That's why and that's why I'm having a hard time understanding why he's a favorite over Ivanov here, because if Ivanov is on any sort of decline, it's a very slow one. He seems to be about the same dude he's been for the last couple of years. And the one thing that he's likely to be very, very resilient against is what Romanov is going to try to do to him. Uh, The people who have victimized Ivanov recently are the people who are just faster on the feet, have better reach, and can keep Ivanov from mashing them against the cage uh, and and grinding out the fight. Where Romanov is probably going to run right at him, put his hands on him, and try to throw him down, that's still a tall order, uh, pun fully intended, against Blagoy Ivanov. Because of that, I... I, I think the odds are off here. Like, this is not a betting podcast, at least not normally. I shy away from giving betting advice, but if I were a betting man, I'd be staying the hell away from Romanov as a favorite here. Uh, I expect Ivanov to win this one. I'd say he you know, probably just wins pretty comfortably all three rounds and wins going away because even his rapidly depleting gas tank is better than Romanov's. But if Romanov wilts to the point where Ivanov just gets like a mercy kill TKO on the ground, that wouldn't shock me too badly either. But uh, for now, I'll go Ivanov by decision here. What do you got? Interesting. Well, firstly, uh, what, what came to mind is that these are actual skilled heavyweights. So that's why they're not on the main card in the featured fight. That's why they're the first fight of a card instead, right? Well, yeah. If you want to have an unranked heavyweight slobber knocker, you need to have the likelihood of some slobber being knocked. And here, these guys are both probably too skilled for that to be the case. Yeah, no. I mean, these guys are way better than than Lane and Tafa. So oh, that's, that, that's why they don't get uh, the main card like, like those guys did <laughs> on a much better card, by the way, yeah. last week. So uh, it, it's just the UFC showing... Hey, it doesn't actually matter how skilled you are. We'll put you in whatever order we want, and you don't really have any say in it. 
Uh, in terms of Romanov, I was actually um, really excited when he made his UFC debut because I had seen his fights before the UFC, and it's very rare that you see a guy at heavyweight who just launches opponents like they're ragdolls. Like his strength is unbelievable. It's yes, really, it's really phenomenal. But yeah, it was obvious that there was a hard upper limit for who that approach will, will work against because the better fighters, they, uh, they're not going to succumb to that. They're strong themselves. They're resilient. And, uh, I had hoped he would be able, Romanov would be able to get more skills. Uh, but he really hasn't His his striking is still very limited. His, his gas tank is a big problem. He looked absolutely dreadful against Volkov. Um, he just, yeah, he was out of shape. He got tired. He gave up when the going got tough. His his defense was not good. Um, so, yeah, it was a very bad portent. But I don't think it's impossible for him to come back from. Maybe he comes in, in against Ivanov in really good shape and... Um, wins the fight. Um, Ivanov, he's an interesting guy because uh, he struggles to clearly beat guys, but he's very difficult to clearly beat himself. He's he's a guy who doesn't really have a lot of weapons, but he doesn't have any significant weaknesses either. So he's, he's one of these guys who... Uh, Again, he he doesn't have these impressive, exciting wins, at least on the UFC level. But at the same time, he's difficult for guys to beat, even even good fighters. So in that sense, I I don't think the odds are necessarily that off because I don't see Ivanov taking advantage of a lot of Romanov's flaws. Uh I think there's a very good chance that Romanov will at least win round one. Uh, in rounds two and three, Ivanov might not be able to punish Romanov that badly. He, he's not going to punish him the way that Volkov did, for instance. Right. So it, it's hard to say. And plus, he's a very, very tiny favorite, Romanov. You're, I think it was only like, plus 110 on average that you get on Ivanov. So it's hard to say. I, I, I would actually hope that Romanov comes in in better shape and impresses all of us by, by beating Ivanov. But I guess we'll have to wait and see, uh, at least until the weigh-ins, and probably even that won't tell us enough until the fight itself. Uh, if I had to pick someone... Well, all right. I'll I'll say Romanov by uh, by decision. Next up on the UFC on ESPN 48 undercard, we have the debuting and undefeated Ivana Siric Petrovich against Luana Karolina. Petrovich, the 29-year-old Bosnian by way of Norway is a perfect 6-0 in her mixed martial arts career. This will be her uh, UFC debut. Her 
professional career has been transacted mostly in continental Europe promotions such as Aries FC. She also had a fairly substantial amateur resume in the Cage Warriors uh, amateur program where she actually won the Cage Warriors amateur flyweight title. She was signed by the UFC back in, I think, late March, early April, uh, and the UFC did not waste much time in getting her her debut where she will face Carolina, the 30-year-old Brazilian, 8-4 and four overall, and even 3-3 three and three since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. She's on a two-fight losing streak, uh, fought in March, dropping a split decision to Joanne Wood that was at UFC 286. Prior to that, uh, you have to go all the way back to last March for her memorable uh, knockout of the year candidate lost to Molly McCann, who just iced her with a spinning back elbow. And of course, that was in the first of the UFC London cards last year, made an instant folk hero out of McCann. That's neither here nor there. Important part is she's on a two-fight losing streak, and considering that she's only 3-3 three and three in the UFC, every chance mm-hmm. she's fighting for her job here on Saturday, and she is not favored to get it done. Petrovich, around minus 225 on most wow. of your uh, North American books. Uh, Carolina, around plus 175, plus 180. Uh, what were your impressions of uh, Ivana Petrovich? Like, what, what's your take on her? Do you see a high ceiling for her? And while you're addressing that, let me know how you think this fight goes. Uh, I'm not impressed with what I saw at all. Uh, on the feet, she's, there's no nice way to put it. She's pretty poor. Uh, she has these slow, weak leg kicks. She has weak punches. And her dominant punch, because she's a southpaw, the left is is, is quite clumsy. Uh, her grappling is better. She can get takedowns. She can advance position. But you have to consider her opposition. The people she was fighting had no clue what to do on the ground. Like, they're... Uh, there are white belts who are, who are much, much better on, on the ground than a lot of opponents she had. And so, okay, she destroyed these people, but they just didn't know what to do. Her style of ground and pound, which she's gotten many uh, finishes with, it's not going to work against anyone who has competence on the ground. It's uh, it's It's not very potent against anyone who controls the biceps who like moves out of a way it only works against the caliber opponent that she has faced and okay i mean my criticism might be irrelevant if she was really young right but she's actually 29 so yeah okay six and zero against really weak opposition and one of those by the way was like a split decision against someone with a the 500 record as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not impressed at all, and I'm actually really surprised. I I didn't look at all the odds, but I'm surprised she's that much of a favorite against Carolina. Because okay, Carolina is limited, but uh, she she can she can do some things. She has uh, some nice movement, and she does have a right hand. Um. So we've we've seen her actually beat some some far more uh, talented fighters than than uh, than Ivana. So 
certainly at those odds, I, I would very strongly consider uh, not not to give anyone gambling advice, but I would at least consider uh, very strongly Carolina. In fact, that's going to be my pick. I'm going to say she has such a huge striking advantage and um, Petrovic, she has such an uncertain advantage on the ground. She might have one and who knows, maybe she gets a quick sub, but I feel like Carolina, hopefully at this point in her career, has has enough not to succumb quickly or or at all. Uh, so, so I'm going to go with Carolina by decision. I'm glad that you seem to have a, a similar take on Petrovic t- to me. First of all, I completely agree with your assessment of her skills. I, she, I mean, she presents as some uh, as a striker. You, you can tell, and certainly the uh, announcer booths at all of her pro fights make you want you to believe that she is a a schooled striker. But I think her kickboxing is is probably the worst part of her game. Uh, at least at the level of fighters she was fighting as a pro, who, as you pointed out not good fighters her most effective thing has just been getting them down and just getting them down out of collisions on the feet like it's not really like she's shooting from the outside like uh you know like an american college wrestler or or even working with an arsenal of you know trips and throws from the clinch like someone like you know uh mackenzie dern will try to use She's athletic enough and strong enough. I mean, she's pretty good size for the flyweight division. Just oh, yeah. you know, she's fairly fairly tall, has, has muscle on her frame. And just uh, being a better athlete and more aggressive than these women has been able to land on top. Where, yeah, the, the ground and pound is it's not great. Uh, you pointed out that you know women who are capable of taking care of themselves on the ground are are not going to fall victim to this. And also, a couple like. I saw one of her uh, TKO stoppages on the ground where it is what Aspen lab would have called a girl stoppage. Like nothing was actually getting through, but she was just sitting on this woman's chest and kind of, you know, battering, you know, her, her gloves off her guard and, you know, the, the referee jumps in. None of that is stuff that's likely to work on Carolina. I don't think of Carolina as a future contender, even in the not good right now, women's flyweight division, but until she, her fight with Joanne Wood, I had been pleasantly surprised. Like, she's, she's had a couple of rough outings. I mean, she lost to Molly McCann in a way that Molly McCann will never beat anyone again with. with. And she lost to Ariane Lipsky, uh, you know, by way of something that Lipsky will probably never ever do, do to another woman again. The, the Wood fight was the first time where I said, okay, I just saw Luana Carlina lose a bad fight to a bad fighter. Uh mm-hmm. But even that version of Carlina, I, I yeah. think beats Petrovich. This is this is too much too soon. But the problem you come up against, as you pointed out, is that Petrovich is already twenty nine. If Petrovich were twenty one or twenty two right now, it'd be like, well, you know, maybe she takes a loss on a regional scene, moves camps, rounds out her skills, you know, gets some skills to go with what seems to be plus athleticism, and we'll see her on the contender series in three years. But no, it's kind of go time at age 29, and I just don't think she's UFC ready either. And this 
isn't a short notice thing either. The UFC just straight up signed her and thinks she's a good addition to the division. I don't think that will turn out to be the case. And I think the process of finding out begins this Saturday. Give me Carolina by decision as well. Next up on the UFC Vegas 76 prelims is a lightweight matchup between Guram Kutadaladze and Elvis Brenner. Kutadaladze, the 31-year-old Georgian, is 12-3 and overall. He's 1-1 one one in the UFC. Uh, he won his debut in a very close split decision against Mateusz Gamrot all the way back in October of 2020. Did not return until uh, last June, where he faced Demir Ismagulov at uh, UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Emmett. He came out on the wrong end of a very contentious uh, split decision. And I only call it contentious because uh, I scored it for Katataladze. Like, maybe other people don't think it's contentious. But either way, it was very close. Uh, he's going to look to get back on track against uh, Brenner here. Uh, 25-year-old Brazilian is 14-3 and overall. He is 1-0 in the UFC. He was signed at the beginning of this year, made his debut against Zubaira Tukhugov at UFC 284 in February and came out ahead via split decision. Uh, worth noting, that one was also a pretty contentious split decision. And again, I only call it contentious because I scored it for Tukhugov, but I don't feel bad for Tukhugov because he's kind of a dirtbag and he blew weight. So... Hey, you know, the 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 universe takes what it will. Uh, odds here, this is the second widest line on the card. Kutataladze, an overwhelming minus 550 favorite. Elvis Brenner, plus 400 on the comeback. I'm going to toss this one to you uh, first, for sure. When there's a favorite this big in a UFC fight, uh, what I'll often pitch at Keith, and I'm going to pitch at you here is, if Elvis Brenner wins this, what does it look like? And then, like, let me know how you think the fight will actually go. Well, good question. Uh, I don't know. I guess he has very nice leg kicks, Brenner. So maybe, uh, I, uh, and I think the pronunciation is Kutatelet. Um, Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, but I'm not 100% sure either. But uh, maybe Brenner just injures him really badly with leg kicks. Uh, I, I guess that's one possibility. Um, sniper, that... sniper in the rafter with uh, trank darts. Well, I mean, maybe Kutetaliet. Uh, he's he's not in in the right shape, so maybe he fades badly with cardio. That that's always a way that. Uh, Far inferior fighters could can beat better ones. That that's a great equalizer if you just completely run out of energy. Um, I I'd say that the the current wide odds are probably correct though because I've been I I think Kutetaritz he's a he's a very good fighter. He actually might be better than the main eventer uh, Abes Magomedov. For, for all we know, uh, again he beat Gamrot. By split decision, that was very impressive. Uh, most people, including yourself, had him beating the co-main eventer, Ismagulov. So, uh, yeah, I, I like what I see uh, from him. He he punches and bunches. He chains kicks to his punches, which is a rare quality. Uh, I really like his dangerous knees and elbows in the clinch, which 
Um, probably Brenner will try to try to get takedowns, but uh, Kutetaliets has really good takedown defense. He's he's very dangerous if you clinch with him for long. So yeah, I I, I don't think that you should necessarily uh, uh, bet Kutetaliets at his current odds, but uh, I don't I don't know that Brenner is is a good underdog pick either. Are so it, it sounds as though you are favoring the Georgian to uh to win here. Do you expect yeah. this one makes it to the to the final to the final bell or horn? Do you envision a finish? Uh finish is possible. Again, if he gets his knees and elbows uh going well in the clinch. That that seems to be his biggest threat, but but it's a little hard to say because Kutitanets he's uh, I think been injured a lot. And he's fought two very high-caliber guys, Ismagulov and Gamrat. Um, he didn't get a finish against either of those, but that doesn't mean he couldn't get a finish against a lower-caliber fighter like Brenner. And uh, Brenner, he he definitely is is open to to punches, which which we saw in his last fight. Uh, again, he has very nice leg kicks, but he can get very predictable with them. He throws a lot of them naked with his head on the center line, so potentially he could be uh, countered. Uh, it's a possibility, yeah. Yeah, I see this fight very much uh, the way you do, it sounds like. Guram Kutateliadze. Uh, I think I'll have to practice that one uh, is better everywhere, larger, probably a better athlete in a vacuum and really hasn't shown much in the way of uh, vulnerabilities, you know, neither at the UFC level nor in his, uh, you know, regional career before signing with the UFC. Brenner seems like a solid to yeah, a middling to, to solid prospect who barely got by what seemed to be a somewhat shot and disinterested Zabira Tukugov in his debut. I, this is the kind of guy that I suspect would not be in the UFC right now if not for the teammate relationship with Charles Oliveira. And, man, speaking of which, how bad must Oliveira chew this guy up as one of his primary sparring partners? Uh, Brenner has yet to be finished as a pro. Uh Guram certainly has all the tools to do so, but he he tends to have been kind of methodical uh, and measured in his fight. He fights, and honestly, this is something I've thought of as Magulov as well, whom we'll be talking about later. He fights like a guy who has a large weight cut and is very conscious of fighting at a steady pace, not losing rounds through inactivity, but not blowing his gas tank either. And because of that, I, I could see him winning all three rounds beating up Brenner pretty badly but just not stepping on the gas and getting a finish late when it might be uh within the realm of possibility so uh give me Kutadaladze here by a pretty lopsided decision next at UFC on ESPN 48 the husk on life support that is the UFC women's featherweight division uh gets one more beep on the cardio monitor it takes one more 
a struggling breath as Yana Santos enters the cage against Carl Hosa. Santos, the 33-year-old Russian by way of Florida, is 14-7 and with one no contest overall. She is an even 4-4 four and four since joining the UFC as the former Invicta Bantamweight champ. Uh, it is a 4-4 four and four record that has seen her uh, challenge for a UFC featherweight title. She came up short, of course, and she is actually yeah. on a two-fight losing streak dating all the way back to 2021. Uh, she fought Irani Aldana, got knocked out late in the first round, took a year off to have a baby with her husband, Tiago Santos, former uh, UFC title challenger. Came back last, or sorry, came back uh, this March at UFC on ESPN, Vera versus Sandhagen, and lost a unanimous decision to Holly Holm in an absolutely dreadful fight. Uh, here she enters the cage one more time, and at 145, if the UFC does not discard the division entirely, any fight is probably at least an informal title eliminator, uh, since there's a there are only about six women in the division, and all of them now can make 135 if they really want to. But uh, Hosa will be the one uh, trying to, well, take that shine from her, I guess. 28-year-old Brazilian is 16-5 and five overall. She is 5-2 and two in the UFC. Worth noting that she's 0-1 at featherweight. She had had her entire run in the UFC at 135 pounds, came in back in April against Norma Dumont in her featherweight debut, dropped a unanimous decision. Uh, so she's still looking for her first win at featherweight. It is also worth noting that Hosa moved up to 145 voluntarily. She had never missed weight at 135, but just decided that her body felt better and she thought she'd be more competitive. Uh, unfortunately, her debut was against Dumont, who in the absence of Nunes is actually the de facto best woman in that division, but uh, she'll look to get back on track here and she is favored to do so. She is around minus 170 on most of your outlets, Santos plus 140 or so. Lev, who do you think takes this one uh, and how? Well, uh, Santos, uh, she has, uh, even though she has a supposedly a striking background, uh, her, her MO in her fights is, is, is always the same. She pushes opponents up against the cage. She's very strong, at least in the first round. And she just uh, froze knees, froze some short punches. And she tries to keep them against the cage for all 15 minutes. If she's not able to, she tries to sort of dance around and throw some kicks. Um, people have figured her out. Well, as, as much as there was to figure out. Uh, she has she has a very very weak chin, uh, one of the weakest chins possibly in the entire UFC. Like uh, even Aspen Lad like completely knocked her out. <laughs> Aspen Lad, who, who we we don't consider a striker at all, and she's she's completely helpless off her back. Uh, we we've seen that time and time again, even against Holly Holm, who very nearly finished her from top position, which again. We never see out of Holly Holm. Um, she she sometimes just seems to give up at times as well. Uh, she she just has this like look of of terror sometimes in fights and then just flat out gives up. 
Um, I, I, I don't see her as a good striker at all, uh, despite her supposed striking background. Her, her boxing is very, very weak. And uh, Carol Hossa, I think, is, is a well-rounded fighter who has some decent striking skills. Uh, her grappling is, is, is more spotty, but she does have some ability in, in that arena as well. Um, I do like the fact that she has elbows in the clinch, which will absolutely help her uh, against Santos. I do think it's also possible that Santos will win round one because she's at her strongest in terms of her uh, clinching and striking game in round one, and then she gets noticeably weaker each round after that. So I, I guess if you're someone who's looking to possibly live bet, that's something to keep an eye on, that maybe Santos could, will do well in round one, but she will definitely wilt after that. And, and Hossa, from what I've seen, she, she has a decent cardio as well. So uh, personally, I'm hoping to see improvement from Carl Hossa because she might be the closest that either bantamweight or featherweight has to a prospect at the age of 28. Oof. So it sounds like you're thinking uh, Hossa by decision there? Yes. Most likely. Oh. Uh, Lev's you know, suggestion that this might be an interesting fight to watch in terms of live betting. Uh, you know, certainly he is, he is much more the, uh, you know, the much more knowledgeable and much more the enthusiast uh, about MMA betting than me. All I would point out is that to do that would require you to remain in the room and watch this whole fight. And I can't, I in good conscience, I could not recommend to our listeners that they do that. Uh, if if there were a smoke break special, I don't even smoke, and I might start smoking just to have an excuse to walk out of the room here because uh, everything that you sort of laid out about both of these women points towards most likely kind of a drag of a fight. Like, well, you said it great well, about Yana uh, Santos, where at her best, her i like her ideal game plan as drawn up on the whiteboard at uh, ATT requires her to just grind somebody in the clinch and nullify them for 15 straight minutes. That's not much fun to watch when it works. And when it doesn't work, I, I mean, if she just gets caught clean and lamped by somebody like Aspen Ladd or, or Chris Cyborg, uh, obviously that's great. But otherwise, sometimes it works until she gets tired and then it just doesn't work anymore. And and it still spells kind of a dreadful fight to watch. And that's what I'm expecting here against Hosa. Uh, the thing I'm in the most suspense about really is whether Hosa can come out hot and take charge of this fight from the beginning, or she's just going to, you know, wait for, for Santos to fade. Uh, I think your breakdown of Hosa's skills is great. Uh, I do like that she, uh, you know, uses elbows at short range. I think that I think that's a good thing for her because despite her build uh you know and seeming to have fairly decent mechanics on her striking, she doesn't land with as much power as you would expect from someone who looks and moves like she she does and you know if you lack punching power, you know being able to deliver elbows in close 
can be a nice substitute here. Hope, hoping she can use that to make the clinch, make that warning track around the cage, an unfriendly place for Santos. And I, man, I, I, I hope Jose takes over this fight and beats Santos up good. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be a terrible idea for Santos to be thinking of re- retirement here. Uh, she yeah, hasn't really. looked super engaged in the last you know, few years. Obviously, she at least has one foot out the door into the next phase of her life as she and Tiago Santos are already raising a clutch of future UFC champs. I, I mean, I just assume their kids are going to be elite athletes and some of the best looking people in the world, like based on, on the two of them. But here, give me Hosa by a one-sided decision. And if she really, uh, you know, digs in the spurs late and gets a finish on an exhausted and hurt Santos, that wouldn't shock me too badly either. We head now to the men's featherweight division for a matchup between Joe Anderson Brito and the debuting Weston Wilson. Brito, the 28-year-old Brazilian, is 14-3-1 overall. He is 2-1 since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. After losing his debut uh, by decision to Bill Algio, he is on a two-fight win streak, those being a fast knockout of Andre Feely last April and a fast submission of Lucas Alexander uh, last October at UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Araujo. Brito will look to make it three in a row and continued to mint himself one of the more interesting up-and-comers in that division, had been scheduled to take on Hussein Ashkabov. Uh, Ashkabov is out with what I believe was an undisclosed injury and in on about two weeks' notice, steps Wilson. The 34-year-old Utah native is 16-7 and overall. Uh, he fought most recently back in March at a Tough Enough event, uh, choking out an anonymous journeyman in about 90 seconds. Oh, all right. Here's here's the thing. Uh, I I hesitate to go in too hard on him because Weston Wilson's yeah. been at four seven Training Center for a long time. Uh, I like uh, Coach Mert like there. I, I I like all the guys that kind of came out of the disintegration of, of the pit elevated. I lived in Utah for fifteen years. Uh, like his regional career happened after I moved back to Texas. Uh, you know, for the last time, but he's exactly the kind of guy that, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I, I would have seen all of his fights in person. I'm surprised that this was the best the UFC could do. Yeah. A lot of times when the UFC signs a, a person for a short notice debut, you know, they've got to feed the machine. They've got 600 fighters on roster. They got 43 events per year. A lot of moving pieces. They've got to sign whoever they can get on the dotted line. And a lot of times it's somebody that I'm able to say, oh, I'm already familiar with this fighter. This is someone that was already on my radar to maybe be on the contender series or in the UFC a year from now. This might just be a good thing or it might be too much too soon. You know, people like uh, David Onama, uh, who got signed a couple years ago. And, you know, I, I had already thought was going to be a pretty good fighter here. Wilson was not on my radar at all. He's 34. He's, I mean, he's 16 and seven. It's hard for me to point to one thing he does at a UFC level. And the other problem is that he is huge. Uh, he's at least six feet tall. Yeah. While he's, one, I think. he's nominally a featherweight, but in reality, he fights at a lot of, he fights at 
lightweight sometimes. He fights at 150 pound catch weights. To ask this guy to make 146 on the dot on like 12 or 13 days notice is going to be a tall order. I think it will compromise his performance if he even does make it. Now, if I'm if I'm Weston Wilson or I'm his handlers, I'm going to tell him, screw the weight cut, show in, show up as heavy as you think you can without the Nevada State Athletic Commission scotching the fight entirely. Just yeah. because, you know, stepping on a short notice, you're doing the UFC a, a solid, like barring something really strange, even if you miss weight and lose, you're probably going to get a second fight. That's what I'd be looking at if, if I were Wilson. In, in terms of his standout skills, he's a tall, lanky featherweight, and he does try to fight long. Like, you know, he understands that he has reach on most of his opponents, and he does try to stick out a jab. He does try, uh, you know, to use, you know, front kicks and side kicks to, to maintain distance. But in practice, he doesn't have the footwork or speed to be able to do it against uh, more aggressive uh, opponents. Like, regional guys routinely crash the pocket on Weston Wilson. Joe Anderson Brito is not going to have any problem doing that. Uh, he's He does have a good submission game, but it is a submission game that has run on low-level fighters and is based on his physical advantages. You know, he has very long limbs. Uh, he's pretty nimble at taking the back, and he's the kind of guy that can start lining up a rear naked choke before he's even taken the back because his arms and legs are so long. You know, he's surprising people with the angles that he can start to snare their neck and hands go up, to, you know, to fight the hands. All of a sudden, you know, he's moving to the back and sinking in the hook. I mean, it, it is impressive stuff when he's fighting guys that are, you know, three and eight in, in, you know, the middle of the, you know, the mountains in Utah. But again, not something that's likely to, to work on Joe Anderson Brito. Uh, Brito's a well-rounded fighter, athletic, good power. I expect this is going to be uh, quick and brutal. I expect Brito to bounce into range, start landing punches quickly. Uh, Wilson fights tall, keeps his head on the center line, leaves his chin out there. Uh, yeah, give me Brito by by first-round knockout. I think he probably just catches him with a big punch sometime in the first two minutes, puts him down, you know, and finishes him on the ground. Yeah, I think actually, if anything, you're uh, far too generous to Wilson. Because what, what I saw, uh, I saw his fight against Teruto Ishihara, who was less than a year ago, and Ishihara, who was uh, very much a washout from the UFC, uh, knocked him out in the first round. Oh, may, may I interject one thing here? Mm-hmm, Sure. I actually saw Ishihara fight here in Texas within, I think, six months of that one way or the other. I saw him like lose real bad to Levi Moles, and mm-hmm. Ishihara was checked out physically and mentally, and that's basically the same guy that lamped Wilson. You're absolutely right. I just wanted to add that supporting note that, yeah, I've, I've seen Teruto Ishihara in 2022, and it was not a pretty sight. Yeah, and... Uh... Wilson, he didn't he didn't try to use his height advantage at all in that fight. He he waited forward with his hands down, right, just begging to be countered with with a hard punch, which which he was on a few occasions. Uh, just going waiting straight forward, hands down, and uh, even when he didn't do that, like the knockout sequence he was just very slow to react to a power punch by Ishihara, which uh, 
in, in, to the guy's credit, was a was a powerful punch that he didn't load up on too much. But it's also a punch that most guys would have uh, would have seen coming and at least put their hands up or moved their heads out of a way of Wilson. He didn't do any of that. He just caught it completely flush, out cold. Um, the rest of the stuff, I, I, he's, uh, he throws kicks, but they're weak and slow. His hands are, are very lacking in, in terms of how he throws his punches and, and, and their accuracy. Uh, his, his grappling game, like he, he wasn't even able to do much against Ishihara and that's one of Ishihara's main weaknesses. So, so that tells you everything there. Um, He's kind of a good example, unfortunately, hate to say it, but of modern UFC card quality. There's there's guys like Wilson on every card who you just um, makes a mockery of a term that some people still use, which is UFC quality, right? What kind of UFC quality is there when, when this when when Weston Wilson, who's you know just a uh, Guy on the regionals defeating fighters with records of four and three and eight and five and getting destroyed against anyone decent, right? Let alone good when when he's fighting in the UFC. Um, And yeah, I have no idea why Joe Anderson Brito is fighting him because uh, he he looked pretty impressive in his last two wins. Uh, uh, I, I have a Pretty hot, pretty good opinion of Andre Feely, and he knocked him out in 41 seconds. Uh, and he should dominate with leg kicks. He has an excellent jab, and uh, his overhand right should be a huge weapon. Maybe, maybe that's going to be a knockout shot against Wilson because it was an overhand left from Ishihara that that uh, completely put Wilson out. So, yeah, I think there's a uh, very good chance we see a first-round knockout here. Next up at UFC Vegas 76, and at least as the card is constituted as of the beginning of fight week, the top prelim features the returning Kevin Lee against Renat Fakradinov in a welterweight showcase. Lee, the 30-year-old uh, Michigan native, is 19-7 and overall. He's 11 and 7 in the UFC. Uh, worth noting, he's 0 and 2 at welterweight. The majority of his UFC run took place at 155 pounds, but he did move up a couple of times to 170 with uh, not great results. He fought most recently uh, last March at in the headliner of Eagle FC 46. That was, if you will recall, Khabib Nurmagomedov's takeover of Eagle followed by a bunch of shows in Florida. Lee versus Sanchez was one of the pointless headliners of those. And uh, he did win for what it was worth. Now he's back in the UFC and he is facing down uh, the impressive up and comer in the form of Fakhradinov. The 31 year old Russian is 20 and one overall. He's two and zero in the UFC. He's on a 19 fight win streak overall. Uh, yes. A 19-fight win streak. You heard it right. In the UFC, he has unanimous decision wins over Andreas Mikhailidis and Brian Battle. 
The most recent of those, the battle fight, was at UFC Fight Night, Cannoneer versus Strickland back in December. So he's looking to make it three in a row. He is nearly a two-to-one favorite to do so as he is out there, uh, minus 190 or so on most of your books. Lee coming in around plus 160 on the comeback. Lev, I... It's surprising to me that Kevin Lee is still just 30 years old. It just feels like he's been around so long and he's been through the entire life cycle of a UFC fighter, like prospect, contender, you know, damaged contender. Is he washed up out of the UFC, back in the UFC? And still, he's the younger guy in this fight. Uh, 170, you can, I mean, you can make an argument over whether it's the best division. It depends on how you define best, but certainly it is still one of the hardest divisions uh, in the UFC to break into the top 10. Like the number of fights you need to win in a row to even get a matchup with a ranked fighter is daunting. Having said that, do you see top 10 upside in either of these guys at the uh, this point in their careers? And who do you think wins on Saturday? Maybe a uh, fringe top 10 for Renat. Uh, but it, but in terms of uh, Kevin Lee, I uh, I actually wrote an op-ed about him and just how sad it is when someone with tremendous uh, talent fails to realize it. And I wrote that after he lost to Daniel Rodriguez, which was his last UFC fight uh, before this one. But somehow things got even worse since then because uh, I watched his fight against Diego Sanchez and against uh, Diego Sanchez, who just looked completely out of shape and completely washed up, it was a very even fight. They were fighting on completely even terms in the striking. Like, Diego Sanchez was landing and uh, and giving as good as he got against Kevin Lee. Uh, what Kevin Lee would do is that in the final minute of each round, he would get a takedown, and that was... That was why he won the decision, but he looked even worse against Diego Sanchez in victory than he did against Daniel Rodriguez in defeat. And uh, this time he he has like a a good opponent in this Renat. He's an excellent wrestler uh, with like good top control and some nice ground and pound. Yeah, he has uh, has some... Flaws in his striking, his punches are wide and slow, but he does have legitimate uh, power in his right hand, like actual knockout power, and he has technique with his movement in defense. So uh, there's always a possibility with talented guys like Kevin Lee who, that they suddenly tap into that, but this is a pretty tall order for him. Uh, he would have to win this fight purely in the striking, which is which is hard to do, is, especially with with his cardio woes and everything. Uh, and obviously, you have a fact that this fight is at one seventy. It doesn't help matters at all. So, yeah, I I I, I don't see uh, Lee being successful. Uh, just because there's so many easier tests uh, that, that he's just continuously failed, unfortunately. So, yeah, I see uh, Renat uh, probably winning the decision. 
Yeah, I I remember your op-ed about uh about Lee and I remember agreeing with it. Uh, he clearly has uh a wealth of physical tools and very good individual component skills. Yeah. Uh but has consistently failed to apply them well or develop them or put them together in coherent game plans against you know, the better opponents he's faced. Because if you look at it one way, in his last UFC run, it's not as though he lost to any bad fighters. He lost to Tony Ferguson when Ferguson was still probably one of the top three lightweights in the world. He lost to Rafael Dos Anjos up a weight class and Dos Anjos, you know, an incredibly underrated fighter. He lost to Charles Oliveira, like just when Oliveira was getting revved up. And he lost to Rodriguez, who was much bigger and, you know, turned out at least briefly to be a top 10 welterweight. But in between the lines, I, he wasn't competitive in most of those fights. And the one that bothers me the most was his uh, fight against Ally Akinsa a few years ago, where Lee has always had the idea that his boxing is his best attribute. And honestly, it might be his worst. <laughs> Like he's not a bad boxer, but he just was content to go out and lose three rounds to Iaquinta and get outboxed by him when he probably could have taken him down. And if he had done so, you know, we might be uh, telling a different story about him right now. But that sealed Lee for me as somebody who could not be counted on to fight to his best advantage. And in this fight, I'm not even sure he has a best advantage. Uh, the takedown probably won't be open for him here. You pointed out Renaf Akradinov is a good wrestler. He's also like a legit full-sized uh, welterweight. So Lee's probably going to be stuck on the feet unless Renat wants it on the ground. Uh, and while Lee is a pretty good, you know, top position grappler, like if he initiates a takedown and gets a takedown, he has good ground and pound. He has, uh, you know, he's a good offensive grappler. He's not very good when he's put on his back. So if this fight goes to the ground, it's probably not going to be in a place or a situation that Lee likes, but I just expect him to be stuck on the feet, getting outboxed by a pretty solid longer boxer in, in Fakradinov and probably just loses a frustrating three round decision. Uh, so it sounds like we're more or less in agreement on this one. Well, actually I think if uh, I think Lee has the better striking on paper to, to be honest, but it's just hard to say how his cardio is going to keep up. I do actually think that uh, Renat can take him down. Mm -hmm. So I see a, a grappling edge for him. Uh, again, it, it, it is possible for him to win. And I, I think the odds do reflect that. It's just, uh, <laughs> again, we've seen him fail much easier tasks. So there's no reason to trust he will, will manage to do what he needs to for 15 minutes in the striking. Yeah, agreed. The sixth fight main card of UFC Vegas 76 begins with a middleweight matchup between Bruno Fajera and Nursultan Ruziboyev. Fajera, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is a perfect 10-0 as a professional mixed martial artist, he is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He made his debut at UFC 283 back in January, where he 
shocked the world or at least shocked Gregory Rodriguez by knocking him out uh, late in the first round. He will look to build on the momentum of that win with uh, another win over Ruziboyev, who steps in for Abdul Razak Al-Hassan on short notice. Uh, 29-year-old from Uzbekistan. All right. Understand that the record that you see on other outlets or the record that the UFC calls out for this guy when he walks into the cage is not right. Uh, He is the subject of record fakery like we have not seen in at least several months in a debuting CIS fighter in the UFC, but he is for real, for real 34, eight and two with two, no contests. And uh, he's coming in on an eight fight win streak primarily in, you know, the Caucasus, uh, Russia and Eastern Europe. Odds here are fairly close, but Fajera is a marginal favorite. He's minus 130. Ruziboyev, you can get even money or even a little over at around plus 110. Uh, Lev, do you see anything you like out of either of these guys in a wide open middleweight division? And who do you think wins this one? Well, actually, I I, I really like Fajera. I think of the undefeated fighters that you mentioned on this card. He is easily the most impressive. Uh, he moves and defends very well. Uh, it's, it's not just uh, all about what, what punches he can throw. He, he moves really well. He defends really well. He switches stances nicely, and he can attack from both of them, which is a really rare skill for a middleweight to have. He has really nice leg kicks. And, of course, he has an outstanding left hand, whether he's throwing it overhand from southpaw or he's throwing a left hook from orthodox. So, yeah, I I really like what I've seen out of Feheya. Ruzabayev, he's he's not bad, honestly, and he, he does seem to be fairly durable and... Okay, there's some mystery about his current level because he's fighting low-level guys and then defeating them. Uh, He used to fight better guys, and then he lost decisions to them. Um, He does seem to have a big weakness to leg kicks, which is very bad against Fajaya. He has mm, solid grappling, although he makes mistakes there as well. Uh, he uh, saw him getting swept uh, with uh, uh, with like a Kimura from the bottom. It's like, oh, well, we're we're back twenty years in in MMA's development. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't catch the odds. They they sound actually pretty close. Um, but yeah, I think Fejea should definitely win this although I, I don't know if it's going to be a finish like all of Fajaya's previous wins right it Ruzabayev yeah. does does seem like he might be a very durable guy so but either way I, I would heavily favor Fajaya and I'm actually very very interested in this fight because I really want to see how far Fajaya can go I, I think he could be a real serious contender in the next few years. 
And for this one, uh, so you do see Fajera as the winner, and you sure. expect it to go the di- distance most likely? I'm like 50-50. All right, well, let's say he gets a knockout. <laughs> yeah, I I like that uh, you're higher on Fajera, at least than I was, because I I think I underestimated him coming in off of the Contender Series. He... And part of it is I just naturally have a wait and see attitude towards any fighter that comes from Brazil uh, or the CIS in particular that is built like a tank and or runs on, you know, top notch athleticism. I always want to see him after two or three camps and testing cycles for UFC fights. And for the reason why look no further than Bruno Silva, uh, you know, who came in, you know, built like a Greek God knocked out his first couple opponents in, in, in like a minute. And then everything slowed down. His physique looked markedly different and he's had to do some regrouping, but all signs so far from Fajera, uh, I mean, flattening Gregory Rodriguez is an impressive win. And it's one that may even end up aging to, you know, to look even better uh, a year down the road. I like that you pointed out that he is more than just a guy that wades in and lamps people with, you know, big sloppy hooks. Uh, You know, he has uh, outstanding leg kicks. We haven't seen much of it at the contender series slash UFC level, but he has a solid ground game. Uh, You know, his original, you know, his original training was in uh, judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, I, I have to like that about him. Uh, Ruziboyev, it's worth noting that, yeah, his his record is uh, full of fuckery, but he's not Askar Mozharov. One, Mozharov was, like, not a good fighter, and anybody who watched tape on him instead of just, you know, going off the record could see that coming a mile away. And... Mozarov was himself personally responsible for trying to tamper with his record. There's no indication that that's the case with uh, Ruziboyev. What it seems more like, at least based on the research of Sherdog Fight Finder administrator Jay Petri, is that it's a bunch of unscrupulous CIS managers who were kind of competing for his business and trying to help him out. We're, we're getting early losses, trying to get early losses pulled off his record or, or ghost wins added to it. So for all we know, he's innocent of all this and he's surprised as any of us. And uh, he is, he is a good fighter. Um, Typical of a lot of guys that come through those scenes. He has a ton of fights on his record. I mean, he and Fajera are within a year of each other in age and he has, I mean, he's, he's going on his 50th professional fight or something. Whereas Fajera has 10, uh, you also pointed out he's durable. Um, he hasn't been finished in at least a couple of years. And that includes him being in some situations where you would expect a finish to have come at some point. Just, you know, one night tournaments where he might have been exhausted or, you know, fighting three times in eight weeks where there's an accumulation of concussions or, or whatever. But nope, like he has been very tough to finish. Here, I expect Fajera to have the advantage especially on the feet and i think his uh i I think fajera's 
outstanding leg kicks are probably going to be trouble for Ruzaboyev. I like that you pointed out uh, that you saw him get swept with a Kimura from the bottom because it, it is very uh, like, you know, 90s Pancrase, you know, slash early aughts, you know, like M1 type of grappling. And I saw at least one fight where he used a Kimura to sweep from the bottom. Like I just stop teaching that to your guys if you want them to make it to Western promotions because it's not going to work once they get here. Uh, but I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think this is going to be contested mostly on the feet. And if it goes to the ground, it'll probably be after uh, Ruzaboyev is already compromised by, you know, leg kicks and or, you know, uh, punches and other striking from Fajeda. Uh, give me Fajeda to pass another test with flying colors. I'm, I'm going to say he gets a TKO in the second round. The UFC on ESPN 48 main card powers on with a lightweight matchup between Ismael Bonfim and Benoit Saint-Denis. Bonfim, the older of the two Bonfim brothers, 27-year-old Brazilian, 19-3 and overall. He's 1-0 since uh, joining the UFC out of the 2022 season of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted at UFC 283 in January, where he knocked out Terrence McKinney with a flying knee in the second round. So he will look to build on the momentum of that sensational debut against Denis, who has been on a path of redemption himself. A uh, 27-year-old fighting out of Paris is 10-1 and with one no contest overall. His one career loss came in his UFC debut back at uh, UFC 267 in 2021, where he took an absolute thrashing from Eliseo Zaleski Dos Santos, one that both got that referee canned from the rest of the uh, rest of the card and drew a good amount of ire on his corner for not having thrown in the towel. But uh, Santini made it to the final bell. He made it back to his uh, sophomore appearance. He dropped down to his natural weight class of 155 pounds, and he is uh, spotless since then. He choked out Nicholas Stoltze last June and then came back last September and knocked out Gabriel Miranda early in the second round. So he is looking for his third straight win in the UFC. He is not favored to get it done. Bonfim is a strong favorite here. Uh, I see him around minus 300, minus 320, Santini around plus 250 on the comeback. Uh, Bonfim and his brother are just going to have, they're just going to confuse us forever uh, because Ismael is, I mean, one, their names are Ismael and Gabriel, so they're already practically rhyming. Their nicknames are Maheta and Mahatinya, so they're Hammer and Little Hammer. And but the problem is Little Hammer is actually bigger than Big Hammer because even though Ismael is older, uh Gabriel Bonfim is much bigger. So they're gonna confuse us. It's gonna be the worst thing since Minotauro and Minotauro, big nog, little nog, uh back in the day. Uh but that's neither here nor there. Uh in this fight, you those who are enjoying this via podcast rather than video did not see Lev kind of raise his eyebrows at those odds. Uh I like Bonfim in this fight, but like you appear to feel, I don't know if I like him three to one. Like, uh, how do you see this fight going? And, uh, you know, uh, oh, one last thing to get in. This was originally going to be Santini versus Vince Pichel, but Vince Pichel being Vince Pichel, of course, withdrew due to injury. So, uh, Bonfim is in as a replacement, but it's not super short notice. But anyway, uh, tell me about this fight. No, actually, I raised my eyebrows because, uh, I hadn't 
looked at the odds, but yeah, those are pretty much the odds that I would have it. Okay. Uh, which which is no slight to Saint Denis. Uh, rather, it's how impressed I am by Bonfim. I mentioned that I was really impressed with Bruno Fajaya among undefeated fighters. Uh, Bonfim does have uh, a couple of early losses, free to be exact, uh, on his record, but uh, he probably impresses me just as much, uh, maybe even more given the fact that he's only 27. Uh, he's very, very technical. He has a good sense of distance. He has defense. He has textbook punches, uh, especially a great overhand right. He has a nice left hook. Uh, his his grappling appears to be at least decent. Um, Saint Denis is, is a is a skilled fighter. I, I really like his body kick from Southpaw. He has he has grappling, but he has like some pretty obvious holes in his striking. Um, the technique on some of his punches isn't there. Uh, his his defense is uh, very much can be punctured. He he lacks head movement. Uh, he he also tends to run into punches, which is a bad habit in and of itself. But against Bonfim, that is uh, that is possibly death. <laughs> uh, and he really likes to throw the left hook and the overhand left, and they're dangerous. They, they, they've landed and hurt people, but they're really, really telegraphed as well. Uh, so that can absolutely be countered by a good striker, and Bonfim is more than just a good striker, I would say. Uh, he does have, again, good grappling, but he doesn't have the top control for it to be a consistent weapon. So that, that, that's really like putting a damper on that potential path to victory for him as well. The fact that he doesn't have the top control to keep Bonfim down, that's of course assuming he can, he can even take Bonfim down because Bonfim, his, his grappling looked pretty solid against uh, McKinney. Uh, so yeah, he had just a huge, huge advantage for Bonfim on the feet. Uh, a real opportunity, I think, for him to get a knockout in the first round, which is going to be my prediction. All right. Lev calling for the first round knockout for Ismail Bonfim, which will uh, certainly continue to, to draw eyes. It's worth noting that you know, I had my somewhat humorous take on, on the Bonfim brothers, but Ismail Bonfim, for as long as Gabriel Bonfim remains undefeated, I think he's going to benefit from being a little bit overshadowed. You know, Gabriel is younger, taller, in a bigger weight class. He's completely undefeated. I think he's 10-0, and 11-0, and uh, and also finishing people. So I think he'll probably be the beneficiary of, of a, a lot of hype that comes down their way. And if Bonfim can just continue to quietly impress and develop and is still only 27 himself, uh, I mean, that could spell good things for him. Uh, I, I think it is a challenge for the UFC. And one of the few things that I think they generally do well in terms of matchmaking is not pushing undefeated fighters too hard. Like I, I wish they would take a little bit more of a boxing style build 
of, of a really promising prospect. And hopefully uh, it makes uh, it easier for them to do that with this mile bone theme here. Uh, I can't disagree with any of your breakdown of, of their skills. Uh, Benoit Saint-Denis obviously has impressed compared to expectations when you debut in the UFC with a beatdown of the year candidate. I mean, plenty of fighters do that, but most of them turn out like Chris Moutinho. It just turns out that, hey, that you got beat up on short notice and you weren't really UFC material. But Benoit Saint-Denis has proven at the very least that he belongs. Neither of the people he's he's beaten have been super high level, but uh, he's finished them both. He's looked pretty good in doing it. But I agree with you. He's running into someone here in Bonfim that's probably better than him everywhere and also seems to be improving from fight to fight. Uh, you said uh, Bonfim gets a knockout in the first round. I could definitely see that happening, even though Saint Denis is someone who, I mean, he wasn't finished in his one loss, uh, despite taking a, a ton of damage from an offensively potent welterweight. But I could see him getting it here because he has someone in Bonfim that will probably also chase him to the ground and look for a finish on the ground, either with like nasty ground and pound or, or with a submission. So it, he won't even be able to, to do the 15 minute heavy bag routine. Uh, give me Bonfim by second round TKO here. Next up a women's flyweight matchup between Ariane Lipsky and Melissa Gatto. Lipsky, the 29-year-old Brazilian, is 15 and 8 overall. She's 4 and 5 since joining the UFC as the outgoing KSW flyweight champ. She has alternated wins and losses in her last four fights, but she is coming off a win, that being a unanimous decision against JJ Aldrich at UFC Fight Night Jan versus Dwalishvili back in March. She will look to win two in a row in the UFC for the first time in almost three years. Uh, against Gato. 27-year-old Brazilian is 8-1-2 overall. She is 2-1 in the UFC. Debuted with back-to-back -back, uh, TKO wins over Victoria Leonardo and Sajari Eubanks before running into Tracy Cortez last May at UFC 274, where she came out on the wrong end of a unanimous decision. Gato is looking to get back on track here, and she is a comfortable favorite to do so. She's around minus 200. You can get Lipsky around plus 160 to 170 uh, on most of your books. Lev, obviously, uh, Lipsky has fallen far short of the upside. Some people, myself included, gave her uh, when she debuted out of KSW. Were you at all excited about her uh, coming over to, to North America back in, I guess it was five years ago now? Yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, it's funny you bring that up. I was very excited for her because I put a, I put quite a big bet on her versus, uh, at the time, uh, Jojo Calderwood, mm -hmm. now now Jojo Wood, uh, and I, I I was very early to get it. She was only like, uh, I guess, a small to moderate favorite at the time. After I put the bet, her even more people put money on her. She sold to like a considerable favorite. And for the first 10 or 15 seconds of a fight, it looked like a genius bet because she just came out with this huge flurry of punches and she was 
landing every single one of them. And Jojo Calderwood, the name at the time, was in big trouble. She was hurt. It looked like it's just amazing debut, future uh, women's flyweight champion. And then Calderwood clinched and started grappling, and it was all downhill from there. <sighs> So, yeah, it's, uh, it was a sobering fight for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't the only one, and I'll certainly go into you know more detail uh, in, in a minute. But, all right, I mean, she's at least regressed to the mean to the point where, okay, she belongs, where it looked sure. for a while there that she was going to wash out as she was losing to some of the worst fighters in the division. But... Still not thirty, quite thirty years old yet. Do you see any upside in terms of continued redemption? And does it start here against Gato, or do you have Gato as the two to one favorite? Well, I don't know. She's had opportunities against various fighters to to show that she had more, and it, it just has never really worked out. Uh, it, Against the right opponents like JJ Aldrich, who's who's not going to grapple with her, right? She's uh, she's very much capable of firing off like really powerful, effective punches that uh, not many women can match in in uh, women's flyweight. So she she has that going for her. She'll probably have that going for her for the foreseeable future. But she's uh, still just lacking in grappling. She's lacking in cardio, and she can be hit herself. And maybe those get have gotten a little bit better over the years, but not by significant amounts. Uh, on the flip side, Gato, uh, it was funny because I believe the, the last preview we did now, like a few years ago, was right before Gato's uh, UFC debut against Victoria Leonardo. And I had mentioned that, yeah, okay. And at the time, I think Gato was uh, was the underdog. That, yeah, what Gato has shown on tape is, is not very good or impressive at all. But she's so young, and it's been, it had been a while from her last fight before the UFC to fighting Leonardo that she could be a completely different fighter. And since I was thought Leonardo, quite frankly, was a mediocre fighter, if not a poor one, I, I wanted to take my chances with the potential of Gato. And that in, in this case, it worked out because she was a much, much improved fighter against Leonardo than she had ever shown before. And, uh, yeah, she she showed a, a lot of uh, improvement in her next fight in the in the UFC as well, and then you know she got out grappled by Tracy Cortez, which is absolutely no shame. She's possibly one of the best like grapplers uh, in, in any uh, women's uh, weight class, and I, I'm I'm curious to see how much she improved. But I think that even the 2021 version of her might be better than Lipsky. Uh, certainly, she'll be able to grapple. Uh, she might 
well have a sizable cardio advantage. So even if uh, maybe Lipsky does really well in the first round, Gato could win the next two. And that's just a 2021 version of her. Hopefully we see even more improvement, and then this could even be an easy win for her. So uh, I think I'll take uh, Gato by decision, although hopefully she even gets a finish. Yeah, I can't really disagree with any of that. It, it if I mean, if you're listening to the show and you've come to MMA within the last couple of years, or you know, if you've been with it for longer, but you know, maybe you didn't pay attention to KSW in in the late 20 teens, it's hard to overstate how exciting a prospect it was that Ariane Lipsky was coming over because. She had a couple of early career losses, but she was on a seven or eight fight win streak coming out of KSW. She was still just like 24 years old. And she had a a blend of consistent wins over solid opposition. I mean, her last three opponents in KSW all ended up in the UFC Bellator or PFL. Uh, you know, poor Mariana Marais over there fighting Kayla Harrison, getting the, getting the ladder and fighting Ka Kayla Harrison. But she had a, a mix of consistent success against uh, solid opponents and violence. I mean, her nickname was the Violence Queen, and it, it fit. She had, uh, like, good power and finishing instincts on the feet. And while her defensive wrestling and defensive grappling were a liability and remain a liability, uh, when she could get fights to the ground on her terms over there, she was a good offensive grappler with, uh, you know, always who always had an eye on the finish. You add to that. I mean, it only matters if you can fight, but she appeared that she could fight. You add that she was one of the most uh, attractive women in the sport at any level. Like one of the ones that like transcends like hottest women in MMA blogs and goes to like, you know, hottest women in MMA Maxim articles. Uh, I mean, that does add another layer of interest just because stars who can transcend the sport bring more people to the sport, but none of that has panned out. And as Lev <laughs> Uh, in in a moment of of you know just what must have been painful humility, uh, like alluded, we knew it within about a minute of her of her debut against Joanne Wood because I was with you, like Wood seemed like the perfect foil for her because Wood is someone who was going to strike and wasn't going to be as good at it. I figured Lipsky was just going to pummel her, but no, like Lipsky. Her her promise on the feet has not really panned out. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's coming over to uh, a differently regulated jurisdiction. I don't know, uh, you know, if that's what it is. I do know that her skills haven't really seemed to improve. Uh, her, her one really shining moment on the ground in the UFC, that knee bar of Luana Carolina, is exactly the kind of thing she used to do in KSW. Like, she was never a lockdown top position grappler. She was just athletic and opportunistic and could find small openings and, and do something cool. Outside of that, uh, one of my favorite lines from Keith is that at UFC 255, Lipsky made Antonina Shevchenko look like Valentina Shevchenko on the ground. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, just getting basically like ragdolled, mounted, and pounded out by Antonina Shevchenko was not a good look.
Uh, yeah. yeah, I Lipsky, I she's definitely not a prospect anymore. She's pushing 30. She's a former champ in a pretty respectable promotion. She's just another woman in the UFC flyweight division. She's going to beat the bad fighters and lose to the good ones and well, some of the bad ones too. Whereas Gato, I, I think you have it right. I, I think she's the last version of her we saw is probably already better than Lipsky. And there's every reason to believe she's, she's continued to improve since then. Uh, Lipsky could have success early. She often does, but uh, she gets tired. She doesn't respond well to damage. She doesn't uh, seem to have a very good backup plan uh, if her opponents make adjustments between rounds. So I'm going to say Gato wins the decision here, just wins it you know, going away. Maybe wins all three rounds, definitely wins the second and third, and Lipsky is looking frustrated, tired, and beat up by the end of it. Third from the top at UFC on ESPN 48 is a welterweight matchup between Max Griffin and Michael Morales. Griffin, the 37-year-old from Northern California, is 19-9 and overall. He is an even 7-7 seven and seven in the UFC. He's coming off a win, took a split decision over Tim Means last October at UFC Fight Night Cater versus Allen. Prior to that, he had lost a split decision to Neil Magny back last March. Uh, he's actually won four of his last five to get to 500 in the UFC. He is a guy who uh, appeared in very real danger of getting cut just a couple of years ago, but uh, he's had a bit of a resurgence in his late thirties. Whether he can keep that going against the undefeated Morales is an open question. However, the 23 year old Ecuadorian training out of Mexico is a perfect 14 and 0 as a professional mixed martial artist. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he debuted against uh, Trevin Giles last January at UFC 270. Uh, back and forth first round uh, ended abruptly when he hurt Giles and then polished him off in the, fin in the final minute. Came back last July at UFC 277, knocking out Adam Fujit in the uh, third round. So he's looking to make it three in a row and certify himself. Again, you know, one of the most exciting undefeated uh, prospects in a welterweight division that's suddenly rich in them. He is heavily favored to do so. He's minus 250, Griffin around uh, plus 190, plus 200. Uh, Lev, Michael Morales is 14-0 in the, it, you know, as a pro, he's, 2-0 as a welterweight in the, you know, in the UFC. We had that trio of undefeated welterweights that came to the UFC all around the same time four years ago or so in uh, Shemaev, Rachmanov, and Brady. Morales, you know, is is now, you know, kind of part of a, another, you know, a, another fleet of either undefeated prospects or prospects on on pretty good winning streaks, you know, who are making their way in, into the division right now. Uh, Ismail, or sorry, Gabriel Bonfim uh, is, at, is at 170. Jack Della Maddalena is at 170. And mm -hmm. for all effective purposes is undefeated, you know. <clears throat> How much upside do you see in Morales? Is, is this just, it's just a matter of time before he runs into the right opponent and the fun all ends? Or do you see like actual contender upside in this guy? Oh, sure. I mean, given his age and some of his abilities, yeah, you have to consider that there's 
contender upside. He has great offensive weapons, huge leg kicks, an instant jab, a monster right hook. But unlike some of the guys I mentioned earlier, like Bruno Fajaya and Ismael Bonfim, he has some very notable holes as well. Uh, his chin is too high. He's vulnerable to the right cross, which is actually could be a problem against Max Griffin. Uh, he's definitely vulnerable to leg kicks, and he can be taken down and gives up advantageous positions. Uh, Giles uh, took him down even and, and actually had him mounted where he probably shouldn't have gone for the arm triangle. Uh, he also has a weird off-balance stance, which, um, I mean, again, he, he's, he's very talented with his offense, so he's, he's still able to, like, generate power and from some odd angles, too, uh, to his credit from that uh, stance, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it suits him and definitely doesn't suit him with his chin high up in the air as well. Um, but at the same time, he just turned 24 a few days ago. So just having that great offensive weaponry as it is, he, he, can, uh, he can absolutely fix all of his holes. And if he does, then yeah, he's a he's a fearsome fighter uh, for possibly anyone in the world. So uh, yeah, I, I I do think there's a lot of upside for him. Uh, that being said, I I do think uh, Max Griffin has has a chance here. I've probably watched uh, more Max Griffin fights than any two other fighters on this card put together, right? <laughs> uh, you you could write a book about Max Griffin and all of his trials and tribulations with gaining weight in order to be a more effective wrestler than, but then that hurting his striking, which at its best is really nice. Like he, when he was a lighter guy, uh, like watching his big upset over Mike Perry, who I think was like a minus 500 favorite. He just, dances around the, the cage effortlessly and just hits him with these very fast, accurate one-twos, one of which just dropped Perry. Beautiful knockdown. Um, and I think he's finally figured, figured it out, Griffin, in terms of what style he wants to fight at, what the correct body proportion is. Only problem is he figured out figured it out when he was already like 35 and 36. So uh, well past his physical prime. I think if he fights like uh, a, a perfect fight for him, like just really is great and Morales comes in flat and lackluster, then yeah, it's possible Griffin could spring the upset here too. Uh, but... Um, I, I guess the more likely op, uh, scenario is that Morales uh, uh, either finds uh, a way to hurt him badly with his right hand or most likely wins a decision because Griffin's pretty tough. He, he's He's been hurt badly in fights before. He's, he's taken some hard shots. So I'll go with Morales by decision. 
Yeah, I I like your breakdown of both these guys here. And you ended there with pointing out how traditionally tough Max Griffin has been, how difficult to finish. He still has only one stoppage loss in his whole career. And that was against Colby Covington, which, by the way, that's a hell of an opponent for your UFC debut. UFC debut takes on Colby Covington, and it's not like he got – lamped on the feet in 90 seconds that was an accumulation of damage from being taken down with ease in all three rounds you know it's the third round tko on on the ground when he was just finally worn out but aside from that you're right he's he's been hurt before but recovered and uh against a wealth of pretty hard strikers potent offensive fighters i mean people like alex Oliveira, eliseo capoeira uh, curtis millinder Mike Perry. Uh, I think part of me says, wow, Griffin seems to be aging really well. He looks, he's looking sharp into his late thirties, but I think part of that might be that his last couple of opponents have also been on the tail end of their careers. I mean, it's easy to look fast against Carlos Condit, Neil Magny and Tim means, I think the difference in speed and dynamism when he gets in there against Morales is probably going to be startling. Uh, If Griffin is smart, he'll employ, you know, some offensive wrestling, try to catch some of Morales' kicks, maybe get this thing to the ground at all costs where he can at least test the relatively untested ground game of Morales. Because if he, if he can't, I think we're going to see his second stoppage loss here. If, If he just leaves, his legs and his ribs and his chin out on the gunnery range for, you know, for too long against Morales. I, I think he's going to get stopped. Uh, Morales has shown impressive power, uh, you know, and can deliver a variety of strikes with power. And I think that's going to prove to be too much for Griffin. Uh, give me Griffin to suddenly look kind of slow and old and the otherwise feel-good story of his resurgence in the last couple of years come to a crashing halt as Morales gets a second-round TKO here. The co-main event of UFC on ESPN 48 is a lightweight, knock on wood, matchup between Demir Ismagulov and Grant Dawson. Ismagulov, the 32-year-old Kazakhstan-born by way of Russia, uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, he's from Kazakhstan, trains out of Russia. He is 24 and 2 overall. He is 5 and 1 since joining the UFC as a former M1 lightweight champ. His uh only loss in the UFC was in his most recent appearance. It was a unanimous decision uh defeat at the hands of Arman Sarukian at UFC Fight Night Cannoneer versus Strickland last December. Prior to that, he had been on a 19 fight win streak. He claimed to have retired in the immediate aftermath of the Sarukian loss, but uh, quietly unretired. Like, I want to say it was within a week or two afterwards uh, that he said he was unretired. And here he is uh, back in the cage just six months later. Waiting for him will be Dawson. The 29-year-old Nebraskan is 19-1, and one, or sorry, 19-1-1 and one overall. He is 7-0-1 since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, So, you know, eight-fight unbeaten streak in the UFC. The one uh, blemish of any kind on that record was his majority draw against Rick Glenn back in October of 2021. 
neither here nor there, but in my personal opinion, I, I thought he won that fight. You know, I, I gave him the decision. The only other blemish is that in his most recent appearance, uh, last November, he choked out Mark Madsen, but he did blow weight for that fight by like three pounds. So uh, two gentlemen uh, who definitely have a, a white knuckle experience ahead of them on the scale, but are otherwise uh, pretty high level lightweights. Your favorite here is, is Magulov. He is minus 130, Dawson plus 110. Uh, Lev, obviously, Is had that ridiculous win streak that included, even before the UFC, some very good opponent, opponents uh, in, in Russia and in the CIS. Seemed like the only thing that could even slow him down was his own propensity for injury, combined with a few opponents pulling out on him. But were you, I mean, were you high on him? Uh, do you remain uh, high on him? Or, you know, were you figuring that he was like this win streak was going to peter out before he got to the title picture some way or other? Yeah, well, I'm not surprised he lost to Sarukian, who, who I thought was a better fighter. But he is a very good fighter, nonetheless. Uh, uh He's very solid. There's a lot of good things you could say about him. He has a good sense of distance. He has a nice jab. His his defense is solid. He has a good one-two, decent left hook, and he's a very solid grappler. So there's nothing there that's spectacular or, or overwhelming or would allow him to become a world champion in a major organization at a uh, at a weight class as talent rich as lightweight is, but he's a very good fighter nonetheless. Uh, and uh, actually, I, I think he should be more of a favorite than he is against Grant Dawson, which part of it might be exactly what you mentioned the questions about his commitment. But the way that I approach fights, I, I usually try to ignore all the stuff that you can't see on tape, right? Mm-hmm. unless it's like very obvious that it's going to have a huge impact. But in general, I try to ignore that. Um, Dawson, he has very, very good grappling. He has a uh, uh, very nice ground and pound. But uh, the, the problem is that he has some pretty uh, – Pretty big flaws as well. He he has a weak chin. That that's always been the knock on him that uh, he can be hurt there. Uh, his defense is not the best. He has some cardio problems, uh, which were partly alleviated in his last fight because he did come in uh, so heavy. And he even has like some fight IQ issues where he keeps going for these guillotines, which just lose him position and blow out his arms. So he's very, very strong with the grappling and the ground and pound. But aside from that, he, uh, he, he just has a lot of flaws and a lot of weaknesses. Um, his striking is not impressive. Uh, he, has, he has this awful attempt at a left hook as well. It's just really bad. And I think this is a tremendously tough test for him. Uh, I, I think actually Dawson, he's had, he's been the beneficiary of some very, uh, 
fortuitous matchmaking, to say the least. A lot of guys who are older or who had like obvious weaknesses that he could take advantage of with grappling, right? And Ismagulov is is a tremendous test, and I don't think he passes it. So yeah, I think Ismagulov uh, will win the decision. Yeah, I I uh, agree with basically everything you put down there. I like that you pointed out that Dawson's uh, Dawson has deficiencies. I mean, he has he has strengths everywhere. He has also has deficiencies everywhere, but it's his deficiencies on the ground and in fight IQ that bother me the worst. It, I mean, if he just turned into a fighter that okay, he's always going to be a flawed striker, but he's lights out once things go on the ground and he's smart enough to work on ways to get the fight there safely. That'd be one thing, and I'd be feel more comfortable tabbing him as as a future contender. But you pointed out about the way he's been matched. He's been matched up against a lot of guys that are either very old, just not that great, or much smaller than him. And even so, he's had some skin of his teeth moments. Like again, I thought he won the fight against Ricky Glenn, but nonetheless. He, I mean, he he could have fallen victim to like the buzzer beater, non-tap ref calls you out. But either way, I gave Glenn a 10-8 round in the third round. And just a fighter of Grant Dawson's background and with his physical tools should not be getting bowled over for effortless takedowns by Ricky Glenn and just badly outgrappled and, you know, pounded on, Bravo choked within an inch of his life. Like, if Ricky Glenn does that to you, you're you're probably not a future top ten lightweight. Like that's that's my thought there. Uh, since then, yeah, he's he looked great against Jared Gordon. He's much bigger than Gordon. He looked great against Madsen, but Madsen is getting old fast. And as you pointed out, Dawson blew weight for that, which might have alleviated his otherwise, you know, alarming gas tank issues. Assuming none of the intangibles really affect Ismagulov and he's just the same uh guy that he has been in all of his UFC appearances. I'm with you. Uh I I think I'm not gonna say he's better than Dawson everywhere because again Dawson has certain offensive uh weapons that can work on on anybody but of the two of them I trust Ismagulov to dictate where the fight takes place at what distance and at what pace. Uh I think it is likely that Ismagulov will be the one deciding when and whether the fight goes to the ground. Uh, and if he just elects to make it a boxing match on, on the feet for 15 minutes, I, I think he prevails over Dawson pretty easily. And if he decides to uh, en- engage his wrestling and bring Dawson down, I think Dawson of the two of them is the one more likely to make a mistake. So yeah, give me Ismagulov here by decision probably won't be the most compelling viewing ever. That brings us to the main event of UFC Vegas 76, a middleweight matchup between Sean Strickland and Abusupian Magomedov. Strickland, the 32-year-old American, is 26-5 and overall. He is 12-5 and in the UFC. He is 5-2 and above welterweight. 
He started his UFC run as a lanky, frankly, dehydrated welterweight. Uh, had some good wins, had some bad losses. Since returning from a severe injury in, uh, I want to say it was 2020, uh, he's moved up to 185, you know, or has even had some uh, fights above that on, on short notice catch weights. But he's five and two. Uh, his losses in that time, Alex Pereira, Jared Cannonier, you know, a former champ and a perennial top five middleweight. Uh, he bounced back from those back-to-back -back losses back in January, where he won a unanimous decision over Nasruddin Imovov in the main event of UFC Fight Night 217. So uh, he's looking to put those losses further in the rear view, certify himself a continued factor in the title picture at 185 pounds, and uh, he will look to get it done against Magomedov. The... 32-year-old Russian is 25-4-1 overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC late last year. Uh, he may be familiar to certain fans as the 2018 runner-up in the PFL, like the PFL's first season and playoff format. He lost to Man of Destiny Lewis Taylor in, in the final, uh, which was a bit of an upset at the time, I believe. Then a combination of uh, health issues for himself as well as his opponents and visa issues combined to delay his UFC debut for quite a bit. But yeah, finally made it to the cage last September. Took all of 19 seconds to put away Dustin Stoltzfus. So he's going to try to continue to prove that he was worth the wait. He is not favored to do so. Strickland is minus 175. Magomedov plus 145. Hmm. Uh, gonna ask you uh, a what will sound like a dumb question, but I swear it is sincere. Uh, and if you would like to just answer that and go into your breakdown of this fight, is Sean Strickland a good fighter? Oh, yeah, yeah. He is absolutely just, a very good fighter. And, and I ask that in the sense that sometimes he, he is far overperformed compared to how I thought he would and like looked like a world beater. And then other times, and I'm talking about just within like the last three years like since he's been back from his injury, mm -hmm. has looked confused, kind of disengaged, and and overmatched. And I'm just not sure which is the real Sean Strickland. Uh, let me know what you think and, and who you think wins this one. No, I, I actually really like watching Sean Strickland fight. I, he has a beautiful jab, and uh, I, I, I love fighters with, who have beautiful jabs. Uh, he, he has a really nice uh, kind of defense where he blocks a lot of shots and he anticipates them. Um, uh, the, the only fight that, that was disappointing was actually against Pahea, where uh, he, he knew the left hook was coming and he still gave it to his opponent. He didn't try to grapple. Uh, I, I think he actually showed that he learned from that experience because he, against Imavov, who's, who's a very good fighter himself and certainly presented many uh, challenges, he very effectively used grappling, something that I didn't think he would be able to since his uh, horrific motorcycle accident. So, yeah, I think Strickland's a, an excellent fighter. Um, in terms of Magomedov, he's just a huge question mark, really. Uh, in, in fact, I, I'm, I'm actually wondering, has there ever been a fighter who wasn't 
like a huge deal in another major promotion and who had exactly one fight in the UFC that lasted all of 19 seconds that has main evented a card before. Maybe if you maybe if you go back like really far to the nineties, but or I can't I, I can't think of anything recently. Or if you go to somebody that was already famous for something else like Brock Lesnar or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but no, I you might be right. And uh I mean it's worth mentioning that while this is a late notice matchup, uh Magomedov is the guy that was here all along. I should have mentioned that off the top. Uh this was going to be uh, Magomedov against Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, Gastelum uh, was forced to withdraw because he's Kelvin Gastelum, and right. Strickland stepped in on one week's notice, four weeks turnaround uh, from the, the Imovov fight. So, yeah, I, Magomedov is a headliner in his second UFC fight, and that was the plan all along. Yeah, um, so I, it's really hard to say much about him because it's Okay, he he lost to Lewis Taylor in 2018, but that was five years ago. He could be a, he could have improved a lot since then. Um, he, he did look good, really good in the 19 seconds we saw against Stoltzfus. Uh, I love the use of the front kicks. Uh, I, I think more fighters should should use it. His was very sudden, no telegraph whatsoever. Uh, very accurate, and then he just put him away with some uh, very technical uh, strikes from short range. So it was impressive, but it's, it's really hard to tell what he, what he is. It's, it's a, uh, it's a real mystery, really this, this main event as a result. Um, yeah, it's, it's not the best that Strickland is short notice, but uh, I actually find him to be a fairly low variance fighter in the sense that he gives consistently good performances. Um, I can't think of like a real bad performance from him. Uh, okay. He, he had some lapses within his decision-making against Bahia, but we've seen him come in on short notice before and put on a very good performance nonetheless. So uh, that would seem to reduce the chances that, Magomedov could win. If it was a more high-variance fighter where you have some really great performances, some weaker performances, that would that would be very good for him and his chances. But uh, as it is, um, I, I think you just have to go with uh, the tried and true, which is, uh, which is Strickland. And... Let's say that it continues our string of five-round decisions. So he'll win it by decision as well. All right. I, I like the breakdown of uh, the the skills there. And, you know, like kudos to you for pointing out that I may just be debiting Strickland too hard for that, like, mystifying performance against Pereira. Because you make a good point. Outside of that, despite being or turning into an anyone, anywhere, anytime uh, type of, of fighter has generally fought to his, uh, to his best advantage. I mean, the, the remarkable uh, run up to the Pereira fight where, I mean, you can argue that he beat Uriah Hall and Jack Hermanson back to back with basically nothing but his jab. Uh, well, 
you know, were good examples of just him being in the driver's seat. And once he realized all he had to do was not make a mistake, well, he didn't make any mistakes and challenged his opponent to, you know, change things up and, you know, do something about it. Uh, here, I was pretty excited about Magomedov. Uh, you know, when I heard that he had signed with the UFC, a little of that is off, you know, just because it took so long to finally get him into the cage. He's now 32. It's just, you know, uh, a bunch of unfortunate, uh, you know, a bunch of unfortunate stuff happened to him. But uh, here, Strickland, as you pointed out, is a pretty low-variance guy. Meanwhile, Magomedov goes from preparing for Kelvin Gastelum to preparing for Sean Strickland. And of guys that are in the same general ballpark in the rankings, it would be difficult to get two guys that are much more difficult in terms of their body type, their general approach to fighting. Uh, and, I mean, speaking of which... Gasolum is a very high variance fighter. I mean, goodness, yeah, sure. if we're Gasolum stepping in for Strickland, one, I wouldn't think he'd make weight, and two, I'd be like, oh, like just steer clear of that. Here, I'll be interested to see what it uh, looks like if uh, Magomedov tries to take Strickland down, like Strickland, like lets it happen and welcomes it. Uh, if Magomedov can get uh, takedowns on uh, resisting Strickland. If it's just conducted as a boxing and kickboxing match on the feet, unless Magomedov lands a quick lightning strike of offense like he did against Dolzfus, and like he's done against a few fighters, uh, I, I think it's probably just Strickland picking up another five-round uh, decision, being generally in control of things on the feet. Like again, like he was against uh, against Hermanson and, and Hall. So I, I have Strickland by decision here as well. Um, and yeah, then he'll just be one more guy waiting for things to sort themselves out uh, above him on that 185 pound ladder. That is it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 48, also known as UFC. Vegas 76. I've been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been uh, your very gracious uh, co-host slash uh, guest expert, uh, Lev Prasarsky. Lev, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely not make this a year plus uh, in between appearances anymore. If this is your first time watching uh, one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. We uh, Whether it's I and Lev or Keith, my usual co-host and myself, we do our best to bring you a solid mix of actual in-depth analysis of the fights, along with historical narrative, trivia, the occasional aside. Uh, please do like, subscribe, uh, leave us a comment. Keith and I are both good about responding to those comments. Uh, we have plenty of people there ready to tell us that we are out of our minds or just really inappropriate. But most importantly, join us for the recap. Uh, I think it'll be Keith and I will be live on the sure dog YouTube page about 10 or 15 minutes after the main event where Keith takes the captain's chair. We'll talk about all 12 of these fights in reverse order, going from that middleweight headliner all the way down to the unranked heavyweight slobber knocker. We can only hope some slobber is knocked. Uh, we'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something 
We will talk about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers. And uh, the live chat on the YouTube page is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy those fights. 